0: Sunday Digest. An award-winning public affairs presentation of 99.5 WGAR. Get ready for a half hour of interesting conversation with veteran Cleveland broadcaster Ken Robinson. And now, here's Ken and Sunday Digest.
1: And good morning to you. Glad to have you on board. Today, we're going to talk about your home. This is the time of year, usually called the home selling season. We're going to get a few tips on getting the most money for your house. Also, we'll find out about the best ways to furnish your new home. It's all coming up on this morning's edition of Sunday Digest. But first, protecting your home. Area police are on the lookout for phony contractors. These guys ask homeowners if they can do minor repairs, and once they get inside your house, they steal whatever they can get. Detective Dave Boras of the Euclid Police Department joins us now, and you say this happened in your city? Uh,
0: Well, in one incident... While the one male was talking with the uh, homeowner, uh, apparently another suspect went into the house because they found several days later about $1,200 in cash missing from one of the bedrooms.
1: Have they been uh, hitting any particular uh, part of Euclid? Uh,
0: Looks like all of them are um, close to the freeway. Uh, They've all taken place during the daytime hours, and all the people that were involved were uh, elderly.
1: Oh, boy. Praying on the elderly, that's a common theme we often hear.
0: Yeah, that's typical with um, these kind of things, and it's usually scams. Uh, one was involving uh, doing some work on a concrete steps. One was doing some cement work around the house, and the other one was going to uh, spray the woman's bushes for free, but he wanted uh, to give her $50 to spray her bushes. She was going to get money from the city, apparently, and he needed change for 100 so he was probably going to try to pull off... A quick uh, scam on, on you know changing money over.
1: What's the basic uh, mode of operation these guys use, and how do they uh, establish themselves uh, before uh, consumers?
0: Well, generally they come around. Usually they they usually circle the area and they're looking for elderly working outside. Um, you know, trying to trying to target the elderly in specific. Uh, and you know, they'll try to see how many are there. If there's more than one person at the house, and if there is, and usually they work in, in pairs or even threes, and they'll come over and. Uh, you know, tell the person they're going to do some kind of work, and generally one will keep the one person busier. They'll they'll ask to go into the house to get hot water, uh, to run it through the gutters. They'll do gutter work if so they need hot water to run it through while one's in the house trying to get the water, the other one's going around looking through the uh, bedrooms and whatnot.
1: So basically they're trying uh, anything just to get into the house and uh, rummage around.
0: Right, usually they're just trying to get into the house. If they're not trying to make get cash for the for the job itself a lot of times, they'll, like in this situation, they... Um, they're able to get $1,400 from a woman to a repair concrete steps. Uh, but if they're not doing that, they're just trying to get into that house any way they can so they can just go through it. I mean, they, they know right where to, to go, to the drawers or any place people hide money and other uh, valuables. best thing to do is just tell these people no. I mean, uh, you know, if you want the work done, you'll contact them by no means ever let them in your house under no terms. And always call the police. I mean, if they look like they're shady... Or there's a problem, just tell them you're going to call the police, and that usually gets them out of there because they do not want to get caught.
1: And people can pretty much tell a, a, a fake contractor from a, a bona fide one, can they? Yeah,
0: I mean the thing is, most of the times the guys are going to be wearing some type of uh, logo on a shirt or something, or if they're not, they'll usually have a truck that's marked, or they'll have a paperwork with with their with their name on it. And people don't approach you. I mean, if you want work done in your house, you're going to call them. Nobody's going to come up and and volunteer to all of a sudden repair your, you know, your steps in the neighborhood unless they're working on a neighbor's house, and they say, "Hey, look, we noticed you have some problems here. You know, do you want?" And they're not going to be high pressure. They're just going to ask you. But for the most part, uh, you know, people don't generally come up to your house asking for work to be done.
1: That's right, and you're going to be able to see them working next door, and you'll be able to monitor the we'll progress. That. Of your... I mean, uh-huh. the
0: best rule of thumb is, you know, if you don't want the work done and you don't want the people around there, just tell them no and and leave it at that. And like I say, if they persist, tell them you're going to call the police because, like I say, the one thing these guys don't want is they don't want the police coming out investigating anything because they don't want them to get their name or their vehicle information or anything.
1: Good advice.
0: Hey, take care now.
1: Okay, you too. Mm, bye-bye. Detective Dave Boris of the Euclid Police Department. Once again, he's warning us about phony contractors that may be trying to rip off homeowners.
2: 99.5
1: You're listening to Sunday Digest with Ken Robinson. Now we go from protecting our home to putting our home up for sale. This is the time of year when a lot of folks do that. They put their homes up for sale. And joining us now is Lynn Nestle. She's with the Medina office of Realty One. Now, Lynn, you say we can raise the value of our home by just doing some simple repairs?
2: Well, that's very true. Um, there are some things that don't take um, much money to improve the looks of your house. For example, um, making sure that your lawn is cut, planting a few fresh, colorful flowers in the front, neutralizing the interior, those sorts of things. The fresher and cleaner you have your house looking um, for the potential buyers, the more room they have to visualize how their things will look in that home and including the way their family will live in that home. So we want to give the buyers the maximum opportunity to see themselves in your home.
1: Now, should you begin these home improvement efforts uh, well ahead of the time you decide to put the house up for sale?
2: Generally, um, yes. You have to take an objective look at your home and decide and look at it the way a buyer will look at it. Um, things that perhaps may be a loose front step that you might have accepted for years, now is probably a good time to get that repaired. And just get the little details cleaned up, get the windows cleaned and sparkling, the interior clean, neutralize some colors that may work well with your furniture, but not necessarily with the new buyer's furniture.
1: You mentioned those things that we get used to in a house. There's usually a lot of those things we get used to <laughs> over the years that we overlook.
2: That's very true. That's very true. And and it's important. It's hard to take that look at it in the beginning and see it the way the buyers actually will see it. So you need to take a step back and really visualize your home the way they'll see your home.
1: Now, do you have to go on a, a home improvement blitz and hire professionals uh, to do a lot of the work?
2: No, um, not at all. Um, A lot of those things are really simple things. Some of them may be even as easy as some weekend projects that we've put off. Um, And again, um, generally speaking, none of them are major. In some cases, um, if a kitchen has been um, let go for some time, it might be a time to update it. A kitchen, bathrooms, those are ways to maximize your profit on a home. Those are important places in a home, particularly today where families spend a lot of time in the kitchen or the kitchen breakfast room. So updating a kitchen or bath, those are good investments if you choose to to invest a little more money in the home.
1: So those improvements raise the value of a home the most, the kitchen and bathroom improvements.
2: Generally. Those are the most significant improvements you can make. Um Families today spend a lot of time in their yard, so a nice deck is a nice upgrade. The best way really to decide um, what improvements you should make are typically to call the local realtor. Um, She or he would be able to come in and, and consult with you on those particular things when you're making a decision about is this a good investment for my home or is this something that's good for just my family that i may or may not get my money back out of
1: now which home improvements raise the value the least
2: preferential items um, would fall into that category for example if your children are on a swim team it may be a good investment for your family's lifestyle um, to invest in a pool. Um, for the next buyer who comes along, um, they may be busy at work or for whatever reasons decide that a pool is not advantageous to their family. So that's the sort of improvement that is something that's preferential. It would be very important to a buyer or not be important at all. And buyers in that case where were not something that benefited the new buyer's family, they would be reluctant to give you the return on your investment that you had um, originally made.
1: And I guess if the new buyer uh, couldn't swim, I guess it
2: <laughs> wouldn't,
1: <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be a big help either. Exactly.
2: Exactly.
1: <laughs> now, we used to hear that uh, building a new room, adding a new room onto a house doesn't really put as much value into the home as we
2: think. Is that true? That generally is true. It depends on the neighborhood. If you have the smallest house in your neighborhood and your home is typically inconsistent with your neighborhood in that it's much smaller or that sort of thing, in that case, that would be a good investment. If your neighborhood is very consistent in the style and type of home, the age of home, making your home larger, bigger, better than your neighbor's home, is probably not going to give you the return on the investment that you expect. It might at that time be better to think about selling that home and purchasing a home that suits your needs a little better.
1: You're listening to our special home edition on Sunday Digest here on 99.5 WGAR. I'm Ken Robinson. We're talking to Lynn Nestle with the Medina office of Realty One. She's telling us How to get the most for our home when we put it up for sale? Now, by just doing the simple stuff, painting, maybe some wallpaper, fixing a few cracks here and there, some landscaping, how much can that raise the value
3: of a home?
2: Significantly. Um, What we see is that, um, and and I need to take um, exception to wallpaper. If you're thinking about redoing things, neutral, neutral, neutral is the key. Um, particularly today, because so many people are transferred and move around so much, it is very, very difficult for you as a homeowner to choose a wallpaper that will work with the new buyer's um, furniture, lifestyle, etc.
1: So, so don't do anything flamboyant.
2: Not at all. Do something that's very easy for them to correct. Um, border prints are fine, they're very easy to change in an afternoon. But as far as re-wallpapering, it's very difficult for you as a present owner to choose a wallpaper that the new owners will love.
1: And uh, by making those simple improvements, uh, what kind of appreciation can you expect to see?
2: Well, the interesting thing is that that will add, it's, it, that will add significantly to the saleability of the home. If buyers have several homes to choose from, one is new and fresh and clean, and the others are not yours will be the first one to sell so it certainly um, gives you as a seller an opportunity to have your home be a reasonable consideration for most of the buyers that are out there
1: would it be uh, unreasonable to assume that you could uh, maybe raise the price maybe by about ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars by just doing simple repairs?
2: No not necessarily Um, Appraisals are pretty accurate today, and um, generally speaking, within a, a few percent of variation, your house will only appraise what the best house in the neighborhood like it appraised for. It is possible not to get that value by having these things need to be done. In other words, with them done, you can maximize... a and be right up there with um, the rest of the homes that have had those things done in your neighborhood, the homes that sold for the top of that window um, in appraisal value. Um, Again, the buyers today are particularly astute and realize what the neighborhood values are, particularly if their realtor is helping them by showing them what things have sold for in the neighborhood. So they'll know the neighborhood value If they perceive that there is work to be done on the home, they'll subtract that work and the value of that work in their minds from the price that the neighborhood is worth. So depending on how much work you need, you could suffer that much from your market value.
1: What about that uh, old tale about uh, baking bread when you show the house? Does that really work?
2: (laughs) Yeah, good smells. You want to appeal to as many senses as you possibly can. Bread is a good idea. Um, Nice, clean, fresh smells, things that remind people of experiences in their lives, those are certainly true. Um, A little lemon oil when you clean always makes the home smell nice. What we don't want to do is show a home that has um, last night's cooking odors in it that may or may not be something very appealing the next afternoon.
1: So don't uh, don't cook liver before you uh, show the house the next day.
2: Preferably not.
1: <laughs> well, we thank you for your advice. Well,
2: thank you for talking to us.
1: We've been talking to Lynn Nestle of the Medina office of Realty One. I'm Ken Robinson. You're listening to Sunday Digest. And this is our home edition on FM 99.5 WGAR.
3: And they made their house from a tool shed. Granddaddy rolled down on two logs. They built walls all around it and they made that house home. And they taught us about good living, they taught us right and wrong. Lord, there'll never be another place in this world I'll call home.
1: Now, let's round out our home edition of Sunday Digest with a look at furnishing your home. Lynn Lewin is based in California, and he's a 36-year veteran of the furniture industry. He joins us now, and he's also author of Shopping for Furniture. Now, there are a lot of consumer-oriented books out there on the market from just, for just about any kind of appliance, but we never really think about shopping for furniture.
3: I know. And, you know, I think the biggest problem, uh, Ken, is that furniture is such a subjective area and there are probably over 10,000 manufacturers. And the um, even though there are real differences and real quality steps, it's very hard. You, it's not like a, an automobile where you can have a line of specifications uh, that are easily compared. Furniture is very tricky to uh, determine whether it's good, bad, or indifferent.
1: Now, you spent 36 years in the furniture industry.
3: Right. I represented furniture manufacturers all over the West.
1: How many of those manufacturers are ripping people off? How many are putting out uh, shoddy furniture?
3: You know, that's a fascinating question, and I use that uh, term, rip-off, in my book. But with furniture, the rip-off really begins with the consumer. I'm fascinated all the time, Ken, and I'll bet you are, too. When you can, you can go in one of the finer homes in the area, and generally, their interior uh, program is not very well done. It's, it's not a coordinated, uh, planned interior. And that $500,000 home looks uh, ordinary inside. Mm-hmm. And there's the perception that to do furniture interiors, well, you have to spend a lot of money, which is wrong. That's not the answer. And so the ripoff begins because the consumer buys without a plan, buys without knowledge, and is dealing with furniture salespeople in the field that are woefully unprepared to be a real resource to the consumer. And we do it so seldom. You buy furniture few times, considering uh, uh, how often you buy cars and guns and clothes uh, so we don't really build up any any fund of knowledge about furniture.
1: That's so true. Now, how do you go about uh, having a furniture plan? Like you mentioned, so often we buy things piecemeal. We may buy a bedroom suit uh, one year and then maybe a couple of years down the line. We may buy a new uh, dining room set uh, and then maybe a couple of years later we may buy uh, living room furniture. How do you go about having a plan?
3: Ken, let me ask you a question. Okay. I'll bet and you can't tell me the size of your family room. Can you tell me right now how big your family room is in feet?
1: Well, you, you have the nickel. <laughs> I,
3: you know, everybody. And frankly, I asked myself that question Oh, a couple of weeks ago when I was doing a, a chat with some uh, design students, I don't even know the exact size of my family room. That is That is the basis of the problem. We go out shopping for a home. And we do not have in our hands, on a piece of paper, exactly the dimensions of what we want to uh, fill or solve. And it's this kind of uh, lack of preparation that begins the process of the rip We don't go about it correctly, and we spend more money than we should.
1: Now, what about where we buy furniture? Does it really matter where we buy the furniture, at a discount place or uh, one of those uh, uh, premium shops where everything's very expensive?
3: Where you buy is not as important as being ready to buy. Uh, Unfortunately, the furniture industry, both retail and manufacturers, whole message to the consumer today is uh, what size the discount is. When you know the size of a discount, that absolutely tells you nothing about the furniture at all. There's not a piece of furniture today that you can't buy at a discount someplace uh, from twenty to forty to fifty to sixty percent off. The discount doesn't do you any good at all. Here's a question for you. Is it better to buy Henrodon, a piece of Henrodon at forty percent off? compared to a piece of Stanley at 40% off, or a piece of Ico at the regular price? Now, my it's a twofold question. One, does the mention of any of those brand names mean anything to you
1: at all? Now, there's part of the problem. I couldn't tell you one brand from another. You, you hear some brands advertised on TV more than others, and some you uh, assume there's some quality associated with that, but uh, most right. of the time we really don't know
3: and that is every consumer uh, would have to say the same thing you know Ken if I asked if I got a group of ten homeless people right off the street and asked them to name a good watch, I'll bet nine of them could say Rolex if you ask them to name a good car I'll bet you Ten of them would say Mercedes or Cadillac. If you take ten of your prominent citizens of Cleveland and ask them to name five furniture manufacturers, I'll bet you'd get maybe two at the most. Enrodon, which I mentioned, is one of the premier American manufacturers. Stanley. Uh, Henrodon is an expensive premier American manufacturer. Stanley is a middle-of-the-road price of a line, but a good line. Ico is something brand new out of China. And uh, without any preparation or knowledge of this, how can anybody think they're going to be a good shopper when they don't even know the players? Even without any knowledge, I think have a feel for a piece of furniture that's that's better or worse than another piece. The finish tells you something. It'd be hard to communicate it, even for knowledgeable people, to describe a finish. But you or I and your brain will say, gee, that is beautiful, and then you touch it. And if it has a wonderful uh, hand to it or a wonderful feel to it, you get a clue that, me, maybe I'm dealing with something good here. You look at the wood, you see if the design... Elements or the molding treatments on the front, do they go around the side of the case? If they do, that means the manufacturer is trying to do a total design effort. You look at the back panel of the piece. If it's a piece of uh, lightweight fiberboard that's simply uh, stapled in, well, you say, well, that's that's kind of a modest approach very Uh, much so (laughs) and then if you pull a drawer out and what is called dust bottoming is a piece of of, uh, uh, material that's between each drawer and it does exactly what the name implies. it says it keeps dust from moving through all the drawers if it's a thin piece of cardboard you know you're dealing with a modest piece of furniture if it's a piece, if it's a stiff piece of wood or good fiberboard, then you're probably dealing with a good piece of furniture.
1: You're listening to Sunday Digest on ninety nine five W G A R. Good morning to you. I'm Ken Robinson, and we're talking to Lynn Lewin. He's author of the book Shopping for Furniture. Now, how do you uh, deal with the different brands, and, and how do you decide which brand, even in the same category, in the same quality category? How do you decide which brand is best?
3: Well, to begin with, what you need to do is to, uh, with all preparation or no preparation, you've got to decide what appeals to you visually. Um, Even though you may uh, technically, uh, just to pick a brand, uh, Drexel, may, um, may be a wonderful brand in your mind, and technically it is a good brand. If the furniture you're looking at uh, doesn't appeal to you, doesn't say anything to you, um, then it's not a good buy for you. But when you start judging between Drexel and Thomasville and Ethan Allen, which would be three head-on competitors, then you start looking at the prices. And the question becomes, if I like the Thomasville at $2,000 and the Drexel is I like also, and that's $1,500, Uh, all of a sudden, the Drexel at $500 less would be the thing for you to go with. And you've got to keep in mind that unless you abuse your furniture terribly, no matter what its price, short of really shoddy, it's not going to go away. It's not going to break down. It's not, the legs aren't going to fall off. It's just that will it, be the kind of piece that will grow with you, grow with your family. Good furniture, good design is ageless. It's going to be a wonderful-looking piece. If it's a good design piece, forever. Drexel, Thomasville, Ethan Allen, Pennsylvania House, these big uh, middle-of-the-road uh, lines of furniture give you wonderful value and good design and good function. If you want statement furniture, you buy the Baker and the E.J. Victor and the Henrodon. These become works of art, and they truly should be collectible, and they should be passed down. But our society today really doesn't approach furniture like that. Uh, I don't don't know of anybody uh, whose children are looking forward to inheriting their furniture. And yet, when you look back, that was part of the legacy of a family were the magnificent pieces of furniture that went from generation to generation. We don't have that anymore, attitude-wise.
1: What about these new uh, Internet uh, furniture shops and uh, and the catalogs you get in the mail? Is it uh, a wise thing to buy something uh, like furniture from a catalog or off the net?
3: It can be, but you really have to know who you're doing business with. that's one of the problems the internet's going to revolutionize the furniture business but when it revolutionizes the furniture business the consumer has got to know more than ever before because on a flat video screen or on a catalog everything looks the same from a quality standpoint
1: well once again the book is shopping for furniture it's available in all the bookstores i would imagine
3: Yeah, Barnes & Noble's, Borders, Amazon.com. I have a website that I would, anybody that has a question on furniture, it's free. It doesn't, just get on the web and go to my page, which is www.furnitureideas.com. Ken, it's been a delight chatting with you.
1: It's been a pleasure. And we've been talking to Lynn Lewin. He's based in California. He's a 36-year veteran of the furniture industry. He's also author of the new book, Shopping for Furniture. And that wraps up today's home edition of Sunday Digest. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. This has
0: been Sunday Digest with WGAR's Ken Robinson. A public affairs presentation of 99.5 WGAR. The views and opinions expressed on the show were those of the participants and not necessarily those of WGAR, its staff, and management. Join us next week for another edition of Sunday Digest.
2: This show is brought to you by Panoramic Lifestyle Clothing, the home of distinctive quality t-shirts. NetMobile, where you get talk, data, and text for just $15 a month. Coinbase, the best place to buy and sell cryptocurrency. And First Trade, your first choice for free stock trading. For details about this show and these fine sponsors, go to krobcollection.com.
1: Welcome to Ken's Corner. I'm Ken Robinson. Welcome to Ken's Corner. I'm Ken Robinson. It's the latest craze in wireless communication, the flip phone. The classic mobile device is making a comeback. A number of high-profile politicians and celebrities have been spotted using flip phones because they're more secure than smartphones. But a few folks like Jamie of Cleveland have been using flip phones from the start.
2: I like flip phones (laughs) hard for me
3: to work an work a iPhone or like some kind of smartphone. I just, I, I had
1: this ever since I got, a, I got a cell phone, so, and I'm pretty much used to it, so I like it. I guess I'm ahead of the trend then. We're like the only two out of our group that have flip phones. They're easy to use. Some consumers say they don't need all the features of a smartphone. They just want to make and receive calls and send an occasional text. The flip phone revival seems to have started in Japan but has spread throughout Asia and may be making its way to the U.S. Thanks for stopping by Ken's Corner, and please subscribe to our podcast series, The Ken Robinson Shows. Thanks for stopping by Ken's Corner, part of the K-Rob Collection. Learn more about our shows by checking out krobcollection.com or the K-Rob Collection Facebook page.